Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Ida Rodriguez, and welcome to another episode of Truth Serum. Um, we are going in. There's lots of talk, lots to talk about this week, but first and foremost, I want to say thank you to the loyal village that shows up every single week for us here on the show, participating in the conversation. As we know, this is an interactive experience. And I just want to say thank you for sharing, for um, donating, for you know, just participating and being a part of this village this week. Um, we want to make sure that we uh, first and foremost uh, just extend our condolences and our uh, our familial spirit and ancestral energy over to Chadwick Boseman's wife and family, as uh, that has been a great loss to our community, not just as uh, entertainers, but as people of color and people of as a whole, uh, providing us with a superhero that was not just a superhero on screen, but off screen as well, has been just such an amazing uh, story. And we will continue to uplift his name and the Black Panther live and our king will remain our king forever. And I just want to make sure that here at Truth Serum, we send out love and uh, a warm embrace to his family and to the community as a whole, because we all felt a sense of loss. Um, that being said, um, we want to just hold his name up and we want to make sure that you are all, um, you know, aware that here at Truth Serum, Ida Rodriguez, my family, all of us, we just felt um, such a great sense of loss. And we are having Chadwick Boseman viewing parties on a weekly basis. Um, anyway, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, we made it another week because at this point, that's what it looks like. We're out here <laughs> surviving. This show, um, I plan to have a good time. We're going to talk about the issues of the week, and we're going to make sure that we uh, talk about it from all perspectives, as we do here on Truth Serum, is giving a voice to the people who a lot of these issues are about. Anyway, that being said, let's move forward. Uh, the people that are joining me today, uh, my first guest is not just uh, one of my colleagues, but one of my friends, um, fellow joke writer, joke tagger. Um, security at times, going to comedy shows with me, making sure I got to my car safely, roommate. I mean, all the labels of all the comedian things that you can do. Uh, he has been that for me. And now that we have grown in our careers and we have so many things going on, we don't see each other like we used to, but we are uh, still very connected. Um, my brother, Clayton Thomas. What's up, Clayton? How are you? How you doing? I'm excited to be I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And you know, it's funny is because when I uh, when I sit around with people that I uh, that I have relationships with, mm -hmm. and um, I think about the people who I think would be a good combination of, of people to put together. And so this mm -hmm. other person is one of those people because, like I said, he is uh, the only white person, the first white person that I've ever heard refer to white people as crackers. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and and with such vitriol and energy, and, <laughs> but uh, a comedian well within his right, but also the creator of that 70s show, uh, showrunner, television, writer, executive, creator, stand-up comic, um, and my friend, Mr. Mark Brazil. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm, so, I'm surprised you're not out there fighting right now. You I know. I've been investing in bricks and matches for a good <laughs> 10 years now, because I know it's coming. So 
So I'm trying to I'm trying to block my air conditioner because it looks bad. It just no. looks cheesy. Um, yeah, I love you, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. And I just had a massive volcanic meltdown over Google Chrome and Microsoft and the evil pricks that they are. And how much more money do you need? And do you really need to track me? So if you can figure out if I need a Swiffer and then drop into my timeline and say, hey, I swear to God, I just want to say into my phone every now and then chocolate dildo to see if it'll line up. They go, hey, we have chocolate dildos on sale. So I know that they're eavesdropping on me, but I'm not paranoid. Okay. All right. <laughs> Mark Brazil has entered the building. So I could think. Yeah. Clayton and you are two people that I always thought should meet. So look, uh, coronavirus would have it because Clayton is also very funny. He's also uh, unapologetic and bold, but, uh, you know, <laughs> content creator. And he's one of those people that makes lemonade um, with, with, you know, with whatever. But I wanted to uh, <laughs> I wanted to do a check in with everybody because I think that right now we need to be checking in with with each other. Um, and so I wanted to ask you both, how are you doing um, in this is September of 2020, as we have been on lockdown since March. So much has happened and so much has become unhinged in the last few months. So what are you uh, doing to stay sane in this moment um, of, of what's happening? Go ahead, Clayton. Uh, well, for me, I really create a lot of uh, just different shows on my channels. So I kind of barely have time to realize, oh, man, we are in a pandemic right now because everything was already for me. I was already in the crib. So between doing my live shows, Tangerine's live shows and interacting with my fan base, I don't really I think it hit me more Hello? at the very beginning of it. Because, you know, not going outside. But now it's like I'm so busy. It's almost like this is the new world and I've accepted it off top now. I kind of don't want to go back to the way the world was. All right. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Mark. I noticed, I noticed, Clayton, do you do you play, like, video games live online? Do you compete with other people? Oh, brother, yes. That's exactly what I'll be doing. <laughs> All right. All right. Because here's where I totally destroyed one of my children. I said, you can't play video games. It's not going to be a living. It's not a life. It's not <laughs> here. I was so wrong. And I'm so embarrassed now because, you know, when I was like, I told my mother like 40 years ago, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to become a comedian. She goes, no, honey, it's, you'll be disappointed. You're not going to make it. If you work at the post office, Get a job. They have dental. And I fucked my kid up so bad by saying, don't play video. Because that's all they want to do is play video games. I was like, that's no way to live. You won't. I go, what the, how many followers? What, what did I do? <laughs> and then worse than that, they said, well, I'll try and be a comedian. Oh, no. no, no, no. I love it. Full circle. Oh, I thought I was better than my parents. I'm worse than my parents. Ooh. I did the same terrible thing. So, but you know what's funny? Hearing that, that whole thing, it, when you look at video games, I thought the same. I'm like, man, I love playing video games, but I don't think there will be a way to, like, 
make it lucrative. And man, there are friends of mine who are paying their rent with it, cats that are yeah. able to buy homes off playing video games online. I know. I know. I feel, I do feel terrible. I feel terrible. I have, you know, it's like, it's so stupid. It's like, that's the stupidest moment ever on that 70s show. Not to, but I did like a B story with Kelso and Red and Kelso had a Pong game and he was like, his Pong game didn't work. And he's like, well, I'm going to throw it away or get, and Red's like, just take it apart. It's got a board in it. You solder that piece together. So they did this whole thing together, Red and Kelso, and they fixed the Pong game. And then uh, Red says, pay attention now, Kelso, because this is the future. And Kelso goes, yeah, video games. And Red goes, no, dumbass soldering. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, because parents fucking never get it. They never nope. get it. So, so that's oh. so funny because all of us, well, Clayton, your mom supported you in becoming a stand-up comedian. You started relatively young. So did Mark, yeah. too. I can't yeah. tell it was different though. I think she, my mother supported me, but it was only after she saw that I wasn't backing down from what I was going to, I'm like, look, I'm my, I might not be as funny as you expect me to be right now, but I'm going to be hilarious. I'm going to find a way to be me off stage on stage and I'm going to be major. And she was like, okay, well just don't stop school. And I'm not stopping school, but I really stopped school. And as soon as she saw that I had a plan, I'm like, look, I'm going to L.A. As soon as I turn 21, that's what it is. And she had to get behind that. And as the years have gone on, she saw that I was a man of my word. Like, everything that I said has come to fruition and still coming. I know. Nobody here is homeless. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and, and I say that, you know, uh, you know, jokingly, but right now, I don't know if you guys saw the footage, but there are sheriffs going to people's homes in Houston and physically removing them and evicting them because there is a there's a crisis happening right now where people are not being able to meet their the basic needs and they don't have money coming in and they can't afford to play to live where they live so uh you know to be stand up comedians and be in homes because we usually are the homeless ones oh yeah Right? And have been, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's why that protect and serve thing. Yeah, it's true. They protect and serve the one percent. They don't protect and serve the people. They protect and serve whoever mm. has the biggest tax base or whoever's. Mm. The, that's all they do is the one percent. You never. They don't protect and serve anybody, and that's why I defund them. Defund the national fucking guard. You know, it's um, hell. I think it's Dana Gould who said. You know, well, yeah, you know, the police is a few bad apples. And it's like, well, you, you know, and we allow that. You would never allow that in pilots. Well, mm. this guy's not good, but, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, forget it. Do you know how much like the, in, on a, in a in a city on this level, on a national level, we destroy the country by funding unnecessary, illogical, meaningless wars. Just not for the war, even. I don't even think, I think that's just part of it because we're aggressive. But more than that, it's like, well, when you can have your cousin who's a congressman, uh, the congressman's cousin's making a toilet seat for $25,000, that's graft. It's just greed. It's how it happens. So all the Pentagon money, all that money, you go, gee, why does America suck? Why do our bridges fall? Why do we not have dams? Why do we not have good schools and jobs and stuff like that? Well, because we keep funding a massive, 
non-existent, unnecessary war. And that happens on a, a local level. When you keep funding police and you militarize the police and you give the majority of your budget to police and not the homelessness or education or health care, well, what do you think is going to happen? This is what's going to happen. We're in America right now. That's what, that's what America, that's what it is. And by the way, I don't give a shit about the parties. They're both doing it. They're both greedy pricks. You know, that's just, you know. <laughs> and that, my friend, is Mark Brazil. <laughs> you got to go see him perform live. Um, so here we like to uh, talk about the weekly uh, headlines. And so what I like to do is bring on my comedian friends that can, you know, talk about these issues, but also make fun of it because I think it's interesting. Uh, let me start with this. Let me ask this question. Do you feel like it's harder to tell a joke now because of the climate that we're in and you have to put so much thought into the social uh, consequences of the joke before actually getting to the joke? Yes. Uh, oh, here's the funny thing that you don't even realize, Ada. So yesterday, okay, so as stand-ups, it was already getting hard to tell whatever truth you wanted in a moment on stage because people are so easily offended. If somebody records it, they post it, uh, it's cancel culture. We want to get this guy out of here. I thought it just existed on the stage and on Twitter. I have for the past couple of months been making a lot of reaction videos, like, you know, giving my comedic take on videos that I've seen. And, you know, you go through a lot of the political things that happen. Like, uh, People are like, oh, this is funny or this isn't funny or whatever. Those are just comments. I did a video yesterday that was about a mother showing up and whooping her son because he was acting out in school. Now, a large percentage of us have gone through that in real life. So I spoke on it from a standpoint of, yo, this is wrong for her to beat her child. However, this is her child. And I went through these exact same things. I'm not dead or in jail. Number two. Um, I feel that the mother is wrong because she let her friend record it. And I go from that aspect. The video within an hour and a half had received 500,000 views, right? That sounds great, except what's about to, what I'm about to tell you. So on YouTube, I get an email that they removed the video, right? I appealed it. Uh, apparently sometime at like 2 a.m., they put the video back. Facebook not only took the video down, but they suspended my uh, monetization. They told me that it was um, sexual exploitation. And I'm like, whoa, 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 no, whoa. this is a kid being spanked. <laughs> this isn't anything sexual. There's nothing involved in any sex with any kids, none of that. And the thing with Facebook is you can't contact anybody directly. It's all computers. So they suspended my account. I'm on punishment basically for 90 days. No video is going to be able to make money. And for the next two hours, because it was like a 24-hour thing, I can't comment or post anything on Facebook. Like So when you say the fear is uh, that they've placed upon comedy, we're so bound and restricted. I tried reaching out to Facebook people all yesterday, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, just appeal it. And I'm like, fam. So this is what we're dealing with outside of the stage if you're making content online. Well, that's really dis that's disturbing that whoever watched that was like, oh, my God, this is so sexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at her hit that kid's ass. Oh, it's wrong. 
strong. Like, you got some freaks in Facebook. Watch that video and said it's sexual. Man, <laughs> couldn't believe it. I'm oh like, my god, what? If they would have just said violence, I'd have been like, okay, cool. They said what? I just love this week. This week has been that. First of all, Trump broke Jim Gaffigan, which is mm. absurd. Yes. I know Jim Gaffigan, sort of. He was on 70s show. He's the nicest mm-hmm. guy in the world. And um, But I love that he finally is like, nah, fuck it. You know, I want to see everybody, every like, um, okay, I won't. But Ellen, you know, she, she watched a football game with Bush. She can't say what a creep this guy is. You can speak out on all this shit, but not the fact that society is ending. And you have, you know, I mean, here's what I realized today. Even Hitler had respect for the military. <laughs> Think about that. Think of, that's why Memorial Day has been redubbed Suckers and Losers Weekend. Mm. That's what they're going to call it. Um, yeah, I got bounced off Twitter like two days ago because I said, uh, you know, and I didn't even use his name. I said somebody like uh, E. Jean Carroll wrote an article on The Atlantic about, you know, a couple other women that Trump, you know, sexually assaulted. Oh, and, you know, add to all the ones he's raped. And I said, man, this guy should be endlessly punched in the mouth. And they banned me from Twitter for like 12 hours because they said it's wow. targeted harassment. And I was like, oh, you mean like threatening to bomb other countries? Is is that not targeted harassment? Because it seems <laughs> like. So, yeah. <clears throat> but you know what? I don't know that it's ever been. Listen, the problem, I think, is that there's so much more violent and stupid than they were. The QAnon people are really stupid, violent people. These are like the people that kill abortion doctors, but they will kill you because you don't believe JFK Jr. is coming back from the dead to run the country. All right. That's scary. That's a scary subset of fucking fucked up people. People that actually think, let's put that dumbass on Mount Rushmore. These are some scary, he's done nothing, you know? And so, I mean, really, he has done nothing. I, there were two tweets this week. One was, ha when Biden, if Biden was president, the stock market would take a shit. The next day, the top stock market took a shit. And he's like, Fox News made the stock market take a shit. He's, <laughs> it's, um, oh my, it's like craziness. It's like really, literally craziness happening right now. So I remember Barry Crimmins, who is a friend of mine, who I love, but he would say, whatever he wants. So he's famous for one of the greatest jokes in the world. And somebody said, if you don't love America, why don't you leave it? He was on stage. And he said, you know, I would leave America, except I don't want to be a victim of its foreign policy. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest jokes ever written. And so, and somebody said to Barry one time, they go, Hey, are you gay? And he said, Hey man, you know what? I'm whatever makes you the most uncomfortable. <laughs> and so, he, you know, it's like being being up there and telling the truth. And that's Ida, man. You you don't even have to think about the truth when when everything you say comes from the same place. You're so fucking genuine and right. And and that's what's so awesome about you for me. Is that you don't have to think about it. You already it's inherent. It's it's in your DNA. You know. You know, you're, you're, you're always, uh, I just love your take so much on stuff, you know, yeah. when I think about Barry, I think about you too. I think about people who just tell their truth and it's like, and they're right. And they're always right. And it's so refreshing, you know, I bet so. me. 
According to Twitter, I can be wrong too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you said Trump didn't do anything this week. So I, I got some Trumps for you. Trump tells North Carolina supporters to cast two votes. Oh. Trump uh, says Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. Uh, Trump wants to force immigrants to submit biometric inf information. Uh, Trump has a plan to make poultry workers' lives more miserable. <laughs> <laughs> he was busy. He just was not busy on Twitter. He, you know, it's funny because they're like, Bill Gates, he, he wants to put a, uh, <laughs> he, he wants, he wants to chip you like a pet. And here Trump will come out and go, I want to put a biometric thing in you. Nothing. Yeah. So what, do you do you write jokes about Trump anymore? Because I feel like the headlines do the jokes about Trump at this point. Because nothing I, is nothing is uh, decent anymore. Politics isn't decent anymore. The media isn't. I mean, you see headlines now that you would have never seen when you were younger. Like mm -hmm. they, it's like shots fired now. That's what headlines are. You know, you see politicians calling each other out on Twitter, calling each other out of their names. Like, you know, it it's it's like a a free for all. There is no there is no honor, right? So, but do you still write jokes about Donald Trump? Well, I, I wrote one um that was uh I wrote one like two weeks ago where I said, damn, I really thought the Antichrist would be a lot cooler or smarter. Okay. I'm so disappointed. It's just like, really, the Antichrist is a stooge. He's just a moron. And, and that's, you know, so, yeah, I still write jokes about him. I write jokes about him like all the time. You know, I said, man, Trump is really giving racist, gun-toting psychopaths a bad name. <laughs> he, he's giving them. What about you, Clayton? Do you write any jokes about um, Donald Trump or pol political jokes at all? I don't do any political humor, honestly. I think, like, uh, everything I always talk about on stage is always directed at me or, like, my experiences or my stories via proximity to something that happened just because I get into that more. But also, I hear so much political humor. I'm like, man, I remember what made me want to get into comedy, and that was always this separatism, like watching uh, science fiction. Like, it takes you out of the real world so it's like when i'm laughing i'm able to laugh at oh man let's laugh to stop from crying but also at the very least i am so uneducated on politics i don't talk about anything i don't know so you only hear me talking about science fiction women uh extremely ridiculous people and which i guess would coincide with some political things but no i never really touch on politics but you know, it's funny, like uh, a lot of people didn't, right? So remember mm -hmm. when we started doing stand-up, well, I started doing stand-up, you know, Obama was right around the corner. And so the the there was not a lot of political humor. I mean, of course, when Obama became president, you heard a lot of the jokes about the first black president mm -hmm. and what you know all the corny jokes about the White House is gonna have fried chicken and all that dumb shit. But um Donald Trump has made comedians who, I mean, Jim Gaffigan went from high <laughs> to what you care. Like, do you, like, 
how much has had to happen for Jim Gaffigan to put down the hot pockets? And yep. he's, he's like, we're not going to be free anyway. So what does it matter what I'm talking about? I saw that tweet. He said there's no future if we don't all speak out. You know, I don't, I'll tell you something. I, I spew all over Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's all I do is, is really kind of ugly, hard, you know, politics. I try to be like Kurt Vonnegut, who would like try to find the joke in the nuclear bomb. Um, but when I did stand up, I did not talk about that guy because I felt like here's how I felt doing a set. Cause I remember I did the Portland comedy festival. I did San Luis Obispo right before the pandemic. And I didn't talk about politics and I know about politics and I've been writing politics for a long time. And Dennis Miller was my first job when he was a liberal. I delivered the paper at 11 years old. I read it every day. It was always my thing, but I didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about Trump in, in when I do shows because I felt like half the audience may like him and the other half may hate him. The half that hates him when I do that stuff, it's going to remind them of the asshole that's bumming them out which they could stay home and watch CNN if they want to be bummed out. And the other half is going to be like, this guy's an asshole. So I, <laughs> I stayed away from him because I really felt like, look, they're out for a good time. Just give them a good time. Just be funny. Right. Um, but online, no, I'm a monster. And I don't, I don't apologize for that. And I'm not, here's the other thing. I don't even think I'm changing hearts and minds. I don't have any bullshit like that in my head. I think if I try to write it so it's funny, but the truth is I want to be on record when it's over. Mm. I just want to be, when it's over, I want to be on record where they go, well, he saw it. And by the way, I told everybody he was going to win because yeah, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton turned her back. Not, not Hillary Clinton. The democratic party turned their, you watch 14, you know, you watch 13th, you watch Evan DuVernay's film and you realize, Oh, you guys, it up, man. Super predators, that came from you. You know, that shit came from the Democrats. So I knew they were going to lose because they turned their back on the people who vote for them. And they mm. went with the corporate money the same way the Republicans do. But you know what? Corporate money is already all entrenched with the Republicans. That's why Trump outraises the Democrats right now because where do you think that money's coming from? You think the 1% wants Biden to win? And Biden, I don't even think he's like not one of them. He is one of them, but he's not quite as good as one of them. He's not going to let mm. them do whatever they want, take a shit in every lake, tear down <laughs> national monuments, or tear down, you know, national parks and drill for oil there. That's the problem. They know Biden's going to have to kind of be nuts, you know, mm. kind of say, hey, gee, let's throw a bone to the 99%. So, you know. I don't know. I knew it was coming. I told everybody it was coming. I told people he's going to win, whether through, because it should never even have been close. And all they had to do was get 80,000 people in three states. They did the math and Democrats did. That's right. You did tell, you did tell us. Um, okay. So I want to shift gears. Cause I don't, I don't like to give uh, Donald Trump um, so much uh, time and attention since everybody is all the time, because that's what <laughs> um, there is a, uh, there's a this woman went viral yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. A white Jewish woman from Kansas City has been pretending to be black her whole adult life. Ah. She, she is a professor of um, at GW of African and African diaspora history. And she was telling people that let me tell you why this story is here. She was telling people that she was Afro Latina and Puerto Rican to add insult to injury. So. 
I, I don't I don't know who should be more offended because I mean I, I believe Jewish people probably be like what bitch like really um, you you she talk I mean she she's offended two marginalized groups that both have been um, fighting to maintain their identity and to stay alive in this country. So uh, did you guys see this headline? I didn't, but seeing that right now, I that brings me so much joy because it's like, yo, first and foremost, when I'm looking at this picture, I'm seeing a woman on the right. Let me tell you something. That is passable, the woman on the right. As soon as you said Afro-Latina, I'm like, yeah, but here's the problem. You look at the picture on the left and you realize that that shows you after you graduate high school, you create whatever identity you want until a hater from your high school post <laughs> And the truth come out. You understand me? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm, it's, she's rebooting Soul Man. Um, everything's a reboot. <laughs> so it's like that, I love fucking Rachel Dolezal, though. Who's ever going to top that? Who? How do you top that? All right, that's the that's the woman that always talks shit about uh, AOC, isn't it? Oh yeah, that was her. She mm. was. She was, yes, culture vulture, right? And she said, I'm not a culture vulture. She actually said that in her article because she wrote an op-ed about her own experience. But she was always talking shit about Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez, who is Puerto Rican, by the way. They always yeah. do that. Like, here's my thing. Why is it that the people who are posing as black always do what they think black people do? Like, I'm not going to believe you're black because you're teaching African-American studies. I'm going to think you're black because you're teaching, like, English or math. Like, I think she might be black. But don't go for the stereotypical, this is what black people teach. You might as well open up a fried chicken joint. We're not going to believe you. <laughs> Every It reminds me of the song. Every Puerto Rican thing you can do, I can do can better. Do better. <laughs> How much did that girl hate herself? She looks at that picture in high school. She's like, oh, I hated that girl. I'm going to erase her. It's so funny, though. I, uh, I, I, when I, and Pete, I can't tell you, I don't know if you get this as well. Mark, your, your, uh, your profile is private on Instagram, which is why. So I can't share your stuff unless I take <laughs> Screenshot it. There's but, a reason. <laughs> I'm sure, but I I can't tell you how many people sent me this article yesterday, right? Because I am Puerto Rican, Afro Latina, so they they were sending me, and I was like, enough! Like, <laughs> I can't take any more. Like I I don't know what to say to this woman. Like it's and then she wrote an article about it, justifying why she did it, and. Mm. So, that she wasn't a culture vulture. And I was like, yo, how crazy has it gotten? And, you know, I, I watch Fox News because I feel like you got to watch everything at this point. And I, it was so funny because Fox News, one of the anchors, who's an asshole, was like, I decided that um, I want to be a rabbit. So from this point on, <laughs> he, was like, he was making fun. Like uh, all the different identities, and and they, they were talking about Rachel Dolezal, and he was like, "So I've decided that I no longer want to be referred to as a human being. I am now a rabbit." And they, <laughs> but don't you know what? Don't I saw an episode of Atlanta, and Paperboy went on a show 
it was one Atlanta's one of the greatest series I've ever seen because mm. it really reinvented um it was even before like the series Fargo. Uh Donald Glover reinvented comedy mm. because it's like, wait, is this it's it was such a perfect blend of drama and comedy. Mm. You know, when you're and that was immediately clear when you're like watching the first episode and they're having a good time and they're in the parking lot of a seven eleven and somebody starts shooting immediately like three cars over and it's like, Oh, oh, you know. <laughs> um but yeah, they had one where Paperboy was on a TV show and he was like, okay, well, I'm a white woman now. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it is. We are crazy. The world's crazy. It's like there's something in the water. It's like, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. Well, what are we doing? Well, speaking of what we're doing is people who uh, were once running for president uh, for this uh, cycle, which it feels like because this year feels like 10 years rolled up in one. Mm -hmm. Pete Buttigieg has launched oh. his own podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> so he needed one more. <laughs> Here's my, my joke about Pete Buttigieg was he's the Gray Davis of Pete Wilson. Woo! <laughs> I, know I explained the joke. Good God. I know. That's all right. It's two of the most boring governors of California in the history of the world. One's a Republican, one's a Democrat. Who can tell anymore? Can you tell the difference? Um, you know. Oh, my God. Pete, you know, I was like, people said, oh, you don't like him. You must be homophobic. I said, no, he can be straight. He's still an asshole. You know, I'm sorry, man. I'm a fucking guy taking money in the wine cave. Don't take money in the wine cave, Pete. It it looks bad. It looks bad for the ninety nine percent. They don't want to get behind you. Clay, what do you what do you feel when you see? Because you know, podcasts at first uh, was something that was very popular in our comedy community, and mm -hmm. it was for us another way for us to express comedy and another stream of revenue for us because. Quite honestly, comedians don't have a union and we don't get properly compensated most mm -hmm. of the time. So you see uh, everybody and they mama has a podcast now. Mm. You know, like, what do you think when you see someone like this? Would you ever listen to Pete Buttigieg's uh, podcast? Absolutely not. First of all, I don't even the last name alone doesn't attract me to want to support this man. But outside of that, it's like when you look at podcasts. Everybody, I remember when podcasts came out. I remember Byron Bowers was like, yeah, I'm about to go do this podcast. I'm like, what's a podcast? Because at the time, everything was radio show. Like, I'm going to do this person's radio show. I'm going to do that. And then podcasts came out, and it's like, oh, you could do it on your own. And I think, like everything, the cream always rises to the top. Like, if people want to hear from you, you'll succeed. But when something seems like you're trying too hard, people are never going to support it. Yeah, I know. And you know what? Mark made an interesting point, right? Like because of, of what's happening right now. And I believe in fairness, right? So that means mm -hmm. that everybody gets it. So that's been my brand of humor forever. And it's always been that way because I feel like I come from so many marginalized groups. I can make fun of whatever. And then someone pushed back and said, no, because you have privilege because you have a lighter complexion. You have privilege because mm -hmm. you can walk and you have arms and i'm thinking <laughs> people who do people say stuff like that you're able yeah. which is fine but then what, what i've what i've learned is two things people who belong to groups that are marginalized don't want to be pandered to they mm. say 
like I, the joke about the blind people that I did on my, that I posted on Instagram was because a blind person said to me after a show, you know, I, I heckled you. I told you I was blind and you still didn't make fun of me. And I feel like that's insulting. Like he was like, if it's really about inclusion and diversity, make fun of me too. And mm -hmm. I said, sure, I can't because a bunch of white bitches are going to be the ones tweeting at you. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, it's not even about that anymore. But do you feel that pressure sometimes? Like, as a straight man, you can't make fun of a gay man. As a, a as you're skinny, you can't make fun of someone who's big. But the other, it can happen in the reverse. Mm -hmm. But you can't do it because if you do it, then you are being problematic. And that kind of unevens comedy and it makes it suck a little bit because the reality is that big people, gay people, straight people, white people, black people, they want to be included. They want to be in on the joke, too. A lot of people do feel that they that that it is insulting not to include them. Well, well I roast everybody. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Well, Bernie, I remember I saw Bernie. Here's the other thing I want to say about Pete Buttigieg. He's going to have a podcast where he talks about bulldozing poor people's houses. Is that oh. the first episode? All right, because that's what he did. And he did do that. <laughs> he, he failed the black community. He did. He did. He did. And so, listen, okay. And they got a police I, problem. His, his, his jurisdiction also has a police problem. So let's... Absolutely. Well, I think every jurisdiction has a police problem because we've given away too much power and we've allowed them not to live in the neighborhoods they patrol so they don't... They're an occupying army. Until we make them live in the neighborhoods that they patrol like we used to, it's never going to get better. Bernie Sanders, I met with Bernie Sanders. I was lucky enough to get to meet with him. And what he said to a group of us, he said, you're all cultural coastal elites. You won't understand anything I'm talking about. Uh, you're all very wealthy. And so I'm not really looking for your votes. I'm just looking for your money, which I thought was holy shit. The guy didn't even, he just fucking insulted us right out of the gate. But he was right, um, mostly. However, he talked about coming from a red state, talking from uh, he was the coal miners and he had just flown to Los Angeles. And the point that I think that is really what's wrong right now is that we do focus on our differences as opposed to focusing on what unites us. And I've always said poverty does not care what color you are. And poverty is the greatest problem in America, you know, and, and, and if we could um, see that, I mean, I hate the I hate. The, okay, yeah, I don't like red states. I don't like that they don't know who to vote for to potentially help them. However, the other side has not helped them enough, so I get it. What have you got to lose? Indeed, what have you got to lose? When you're living in a shack, things aren't going right. So, you know, poverty should, certain principles of equality and civility and poverty should unite all of us, regardless of party regardless of ideology. These are things that, you know, Sermon on the Mount style things that should bring us all together to try to make things better for all of us. I and, know. And That's so idealistic right now because the problem is that they told uh, poor white people that they were better than us because they were white. And so they yeah. believe that. <laughs> LBJ said that. He said, as long as the broke white man can still think he's better than the black man, we'll be fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, because I, I was watching Beast of the Southern Wild last night because I'm writing yeah. a movie and I, those people were all poor. And they yeah. are, they were living in the in the bathtub. You both saw it, right? Yeah, so I in, saw it. In the bathtub, I never heard them talk about race because they were so poor that they had to band together to survive, right? Because mm -hmm. 
they were un basically underwater under the levee. So the but yeah, it's but, those a lot of those things are a privileged problem, regardless of who we are, where we're from, what we're doing. If you got a roof, if you got a car, if you got a job, that's those are sort of privileged issues have taken the front and center place as opposed to human issues and the poverty and the people like that who are living in a place where it's like, God, don't we care? Can't yeah. we fix that first? Can't we fix that before we send, you know, troops, money, resources to the fucking Middle East again? Yeah. And so, I, I mean the Middle East, period. Well, the middle, I mean, well, we can, that alone is a episode onto itself. All right. So how do we write jokes about these things since nobody can say anything anymore, right? We, we, yeah, two, two presidents. You've had two presidents. The first one you couldn't satirize because he was he was so fucking brilliant and he and he was so and then the second one you can't satirize because he's so crazy and over the top. You've had two presidents you can't make fun of for completely different reasons. It's like wow. Right. Wait, <laughs> a so, tan suit. Okay, so how do you write how do you write a joke about um Clayton, you used to have one of my favorite jokes, right? Your joke was about uh, how your cousin tried to molest you and tried to bribe you with a video game, right? And, yeah. and here you are, you make money. <laughs> so apparently your cousin didn't molest you because you no. didn't traumatize <laughs> where you could play video games anymore. That's, <laughs> That's that how you got into it. And listen, I, I, this is the thing, like, I have been molested. So when I make a joke about molestation, it is me making a joke about from my personal experience and, and mm -hmm. dealing with it. And someone will try to take that away from me and say, mm -hmm. I've been insensitive to all the other people who've been molested. And I'm like, I cannot write a joke in with everyone in mind when I'm writing a joke about my own personal experience. So when you say that, it's okay for me from this point and from the previous point, I am somebody who, when I see somebody in a wheelchair and I'm on stage, the first thing I say is something about that person in a wheelchair, because I know that they're feeling like I want to be included, but I also don't want to be offended. And I think I, I used to get um, into so much trouble with hecklers in the beginning of my standup career that I had to master how to, uh, make fun of people with they can laugh with me as opposed to them feeling, feeling laughed at. So I mastered that pretty early on, being able to make fun of somebody in a wheelchair or making fun of someone who was homosexual or lesbian or uh, had some kind of deformity that they, as society, would feel as a deformity and a way that we can all laugh and you don't feel attacked, that you just feel like one of us. And um, it's a very delicate thing because you have to say everything with love. So it's like when you say something with love, I would approach somebody in a wheelchair when I'm on stage. I'll give you this perfect example. I'm at the Laugh Factory Long Beach. This is like a year ago. And I get up stage and everybody, every comedian before me sees this girl in a wheelchair who was laughing extremely loud and they want to tell her to shut up. But she's in a wheelchair and they're like, oh, she's going to be offended. I was like, hey, look, baby girl, I know at some point when we leave, you're probably going to roll over everybody's shoes. But I need you to lower your voice. <laughs> 
she laughed so loud and she kept laughing and her laughing made everybody else laugh. And I'm like, look, I mean, we all kind of jealous just because you got the parking space access that you have. And it just continued from there. And it was love. We took pictures after the show. And it was one of those things that in me saying, yo, lower your voice, she was able to laugh with us. And I think as long as you keep that, um, that love when you're talking about somebody, then everybody can't be offended. Well, uh, my question, is, which is a great point, because I, I like I, I think I shared it here before. I did a joke at Flappers and I have a joke about lesbians. Tangerina's on here because I know Tangerine be, used to always come to my shows and laugh and fall on the ground. And <laughs> I, she would really boost me up. But this woman came up to me after the show. She was a professor at uh, UCLA and told me that she would like to coach me on my comedy and how it could be more sensitive specifically <laughs> to lesbians, not LGBTQIA+, like the whole group. I mean, not the whole group, but the, the you know, everyone else, just her group. But she laughed at the jokes about uh, the black people and the Mexicans. And she gave me her number and she was mm. like, call me and I can sit down and I can help you write your set. And I could tell this bitch has never been funny a day in her life. <laughs> I was looking at her, but I was so offended by her because she was a white woman who is tenured at UCLA. I'm a mm -hmm. stand-up comedian. I was getting $25 for that set. Mm -hmm. And she was telling she came and employed her, her, her knowledge and her privilege and spoke on behalf of everybody else. Mind you, there were other lesbians in that audience that were like, yo, that shit was so funny. Like, yo, you know, like. It, it is so, so annoying. So when you talk about sensitive issues, mm -hmm. how do you talk about these now with, with there's always a, you know, a new, I got, I'm on a hiatus oh, blog. You know what that is? A hiatus blog. I did my mm -hmm. joke about how I don't date short men because they make me feel big. And they, they <laughs> right? They, and they put me on a blog that was like, anti-hiatism is real and <laughs> me with my last comic standing dress and they were like ida rodriguez is a hiatus and, and i thought it was nah. they were serious mm, see i have that, i have go ahead, Mark. Yeah, go ahead no i have no, an no. issue with like when people are like a poc it's like well, okay when they identify i'm not going to say a name i'm just going to say they identify i said were you relatives brought over in the bottom of a boat Woo! No, you just you know somebody just didn't. They didn't let you in that class because. So I won't say what, but I'm just saying there's a difference. Okay, can we get past the difference? But it's like cancel culture. I swear to God, it's it's like that's an antithesis of saying truth. But the other thing I noticed, the people that don't apologize never take the hit. Mm -mm. When you apologize, you're dead. South Park, Joe Rogan, whoever. They don't apologize and they don't get canceled because they know who watches them. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing. We know who watches us. Don't apologize. If you're going to say it, just say it. Just mm -hmm. own it. You know, and there's going to be it's not that you can't say anything you want. It's that you can't not get repercussions from certain people. Mm. But cancel, cancel is horrible. I'm not you know, the, the bad news is like Dennis Miller. I can remember him standing up for two live crew when they were banned in Florida. Mm. And it's not about the speaker. It's about the right. And, and that's unfortunate and messy and American. 
Clayton, <laughs> you know? what you were gonna say? It's like when you when you're writing these things, I I completely agree with Mark. It's like once you don't apologize, it's like oh well that person didn't apologize. I guess we got to move on. We look at Dave Chappelle, <laughs> who is he has the crown as the king. You understand me? Like Eddie Murphy will always be the king to me. I mean, obviously Richard Pryor set the stage, but Eddie Murphy to me is the king. But Dave Chappelle has the crown on his head, and he says such things, and he never apologizes, and he speaks the truth. And then you look at the comedians who are forced to apologize, how they're always, once you apologize once, they're going to make you apologize for everything. So now your right. your power is gone. So in this society, you're not going to not offend somebody. So once you know your audience, just like Mark said, I know the people who are going to support and buy tickets for me. But at the same time, I know how to deliver my material. I'll give you this example of one of my bits because there's no time soon that I'll ever be performing it. But uh, the joke, I say, um, I bought a shirt, a reading rainbow shirt, and my wife said, yo, you can't wear that shirt. That's gay. Rainbow is gay. I said, it's the reading rainbow. She said, I'm sorry, it's gay. You can't wear it. I said, yo. And then I asked, I'm like, do we have any LGBTQ in the building tonight? And of course, you usually get like two or three claps because everybody doesn't know what you're about to say. So they don't want to admit it. And then I'm like, let me let me just say this. First of all, I have nothing but love and respect for the LGBTQ community. You guys are amazing. I think that the fact that you guys are able to live your truth and in spite of so many bigoted, hateful people, don't ever stop being yourself. It usually gets an applause break. As soon as that happens, I say, here's my question to the LGBTQ. Who the fuck said y'all could have the rainbow as your logo? This is a community decision. We got to vote on this shit. You can't just take the rainbow. Y'all got to take colors. We ain't going to miss no more. You got to take brown. Ain't nobody going to miss brown. And then I go from there. So here's the situation where you build them up. So now everybody's on the same playing field and will laugh and you're not feeling attacked. So every one of my bits, I try to write from a place of let me catch you off guard. But at the same time, let me let you know my beef is what my wife is telling me about something I grew up loving and not against what you guys are doing. Right. Clayton, you have such, you know, what you did with the person in the wheelchair. It's so kind and uh, a deft hand and funny thank you and that's really the the point here you can say so many things as long as you're not shitty you know mm -hmm. you can make so many more points with honey than vinegar mm. you know and that's that's like that's how you get people to come over and that's what i think humor is all about you know when when swift said we should eat irish babies he wasn't mm. serious you know he was <laughs> fighting against the English, you know, uh, starving them. He was like, hey, why don't we just eat the Irish babies? That way we won't have to deal with them anymore. So it's like, that's hard to do nowadays because people are so sensitive. Yeah. Like nobody, you know, I, and I'm sorry to do a bit, but I was raised Catholic and, uh, and I was there but for the grace of God and somebody walking in the room, my molestation would have gone further. And, um, but uh, the joke, the joke I wrote about it was, oh, I was I was such a beautiful child. I drove all the priests wild. <laughs> and that's not a lie. I look like an angel. It's like, come sit on my lap, you little angel. All right. And that happened. And it was like, but anyway, I had to get that in there. I thought maybe somebody at home is not offended yet. And I'd like to include everyone. I'm inclusive. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know what? It, it, the funny thing is that that joke that you just made and the joke that I referenced earlier of uh, Clayton talking about his cousin trying to molest him with a what was the video game? It was a Sega. It was the Sega. Yeah. So, oh. Let me because now because you've said it, let me just give the outline of it because I don't want people because this is so easily at misconstrued. Get a, at least get a PS if you're gonna yeah. get molested. <laughs> so I'm 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 uh I'm eight years old and my cousin is like, yo, why don't you come over and play Sonic? Sonic was the hottest game on Sega at the time, right? So I go over the house and it's just he and I, and I'm not seeing where he is. I'm like, yo, where you at? He's upstairs. And I'm like, all right, I'm coming. So I get up there. He's not in the room. And then he opens up the closet door and he's butt ass naked. And I'm like, hey, man, where are your clothes at? And he's like, just put your clothes over there. I was like, for what? He's like, we want to play the game. I'm like, why do we have to play the game naked? Right. At this point, his older sister, which is my older cousin, comes in the room and says, yep, why are y'all naked? I Before I could say anything, he was like, we was playing house. I'm like, no, the fuck we wasn't. Okay. He was like, yeah, yeah. We was just wrestling. I'm like, I ain't never seen Hogan wrestled his dick out. This is not a part of the game whatsoever. So needless to say, nothing happens. I get home. My mom was like, what did he touch you? I'm like, no, I just want to play the game. Like to this day, can I play the game? So it was one of those situations, but nothing, you know, I didn't thank God, but yeah. But listen, the, the, my point was, was that because you are able to tell a joke like that mm-hmm. and Mark is able to tell that joke, that frees a lot of men from those types of experiences that they're ashamed to talk about, mm. shame into not talking about, right? Because it is a sensitive matter. But through if you listen to comedians who are people and they're talking about the things that are relatable to us, because every single one of y'all have had inappropriate relationships with women that were older than you at a young age. Mm. Mo- so many male comedians that I know, their first sexual experience was with a grown ass woman, right? Like, oh, yeah. you see, but those are, those are, and that's sexual, that's sexual assault. Like, mm. it, it, you don't process it that way because culturally, men and so, men are socialized to have to be able to endure those things and to be a man about it. But because of comedy, we're able to have these conversations and you talk about these things that free a lot of men who mm. would not ordinarily talk about something like that. And they'd be like, yeah, my cousin did try to get me, but he tried to get me with Atari because I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> you never realize there's that much about, you know, as a boy, when you're dealing with an older woman, you're like, yeah, I'm killing it. But yeah, that is truly, yeah, yeah. That's why when people say, you know, because when I was a teenager, young teenager, 15, 16, I had been with older women and people like, well, did you tell anyone? I said, man, I told everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's not funny. I go, no, it's funny. funny. I told all my friends. I said, see that lady with the purse and the car? Yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> I told everyone. <laughs> I told everybody. But it's important to, to have those conversations and to be able to talk about those things, even though they're uncomfortable, because it does shape who you are as a comedian. And most of the male comedians that I know have had such life at such an early age, which is what made them able to, you know, made them the, the people that they are where they make a commentary about life mm-hmm. because they started living, you know, so young and that that's just what makes comedy so unique and special but mm-hmm. if you try to new if you try to muzzle us 
then who the hell is going to talk about this stuff since nobody else can talk about it? Mm. But it, it's a form of getting you, like I grew up in a family of lies and secrets and denial, and so it really triggers you when you go, "Hey, this happened to me," and people go, "Oh no, no, don't talk about." It's like, no, this, <laughs> this is what you know. I remember I was 11 years old. I grew up in a college town. I used to hang around at the college, and there were freshman girls who were 18 who got me and my little 10 and 11 year old friends high. And I don't think, oh, well, they were terrible people. First of all, it was the 70s. Second of all, to them, I think it was like getting their cat high. Let's see what the little kids do when they're high. All right. So, and I, I smoked weed for a very long time, and I have no regrets, and I'm not sorry, and I don't judge those women. And um, it's, it's like things happen culturally at different periods in our growth as people, and yeah, tear down the statues. Tear them all the fuck down. Tear down the statues of Charles Lindbergh, too, while you're at it. He was a virulent anti-Semite. Tear them all down and move on. But don't forget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's real. So have you been doing virtual shows? No. <laughs> I, ha- I can't. I I. <laughs> You know, I gave up stand-up for literally 20 years, and I loved it, but I had children, I was raising them, and then when they both were out of college, I thought, I can go back and do what I want and stay out late at night, and so (laughs) I did, and I did, and I love it, and I love, you know, to me, it's like the Miles Davis thing where it's like, it has, you have to be in the room, it has to be happening, it has to be a back and forth, and that's not going to happen on Zoom. And it's not that I'm like a pure, like some kind of elitist or whatever. It's like I need to be in the room with the people for it to kind of do what it does for me. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I have not done any Zoom shows, really. I've done interviews. but Yeah, I'm not doing no Zoom shows, man. I mean, I've been invited a couple times, and it's almost – this is gonna. This is ego speaking. This is purely ego speaking when I say this. <laughs> the comedians who've hit me up and be like, "Hey, I'm doing a. Uh, we doing a. Um, you know, a virtual comedy show, man. Uh, you know, I want to know if you want to get down. I'm so offended because I'm like, you think that you can book me on a <laughs> on a video comedy show? Like, bro, let me tell you something, man. I'm Clayton Thomas, man. Like, it's that part of the ego. <laughs> It's like, bro, this is you shouldn't even be making this call to ask me something like this. At most, you should be like, hey, man, do you have any advice about, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not doing no types of virtual shows because I agree with Mark. I need the energy in the room. I need to be able to see that woman in the wheelchair and say something. I need to be able to tell them my story. And when they're laughing, me stop talking for a second. I don't want to be in a, in a comedy show virtual situation and I'm telling a joke and I see three people go grab something from the kitchen and come back and say, oh, this is good. Like, I don't know. I need <laughs> stay still and focused. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been I've done um, I mean, <laughs> virtual shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been I mean, I did the show with Jackie Cation and Lori Kilmartin, who I think are really good comedians. Um, but it doesn't feel the same. But I'm I'm in a specific I'm in a I'm in the bind because I have to turn up a special, and I mm. can't without the special oh. on my balcony. So I have had to resort to working out jokes online. They check in with me weekly to see if I'm working on any I'm on material mm. because people are still shooting their specials in the pandemic. Uh, Colin Quinn just shot one last week, and it's just like the pressure of 
uh, performing it virtually is hard. So weekly here I do Wednesdays, I do a workout show where we work out jokes. So it's not like a stand-up show. It's really just working out premises and working out the jokes live online so people can see the process of creating a joke without the expectation of funny. But it's it's been so difficult because, you know, I, Tammy Jo Deering just sent me a... Um, a, a text yesterday and say, hey, can you do this show at the um, Comedy Magic Castle? It's a social just Halfway through, she sent me like three text messages. After the first one, I was like, yes. Is it people? Is it on stage? Is it <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh man, I can't wait to just... It, and, it, and I'll tell you, the Zoom shows that I've done haven't been horrible, but it doesn't feel the same. It, it just mm-hmm. doesn't. You know, I did the Tone Bell show with the where you're at the in-crowd space and you have all these monitors around you. So mm-hmm. you it still doesn't feel the same because you see people on the monitors with a eating or you see the kid run across the living room and it just does, it, it takes you out of it for a minute. Mm-hmm. So it's been, I don't think people understand how traumatic this is. And I know it sounds very privileged, but for people whose jobs are live performance and interact yeah. with people, it's hard. Well, but that's what longer, it is. Go ahead, Mark. The, lo- the longer Zoom's gone on, the more comfortable people are, and that's that's a mistake, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they, they 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 do. You look inside their life, and you go, "Oh, that's sad. That's just grim." <laughs> they're eating spaghettios in a dirty shirt, and they're mm. they're like, "You know, we can see you. We can see you." <laughs> and so, so, so Ida was really terrible. Is you were you had just done the Tiffany? thing and you get a special and you're on the cusp of this stuff and then every it's like the universe goes yeah no we're all going to shut that we're going to shut all that shit down we're in and that's like you work a lifetime to get to this point and then everybody's like no hold pause i'm like my i have a a friend hannah einbinder who's my ex-wife's stepdaughter she was on the cusp she'd done just for laughs she was just like and eddie pepitone has a special come out he's a friend of mine you and I'm just like, God damn, the universe's timing is all horrible. Man, when I see that dude, I saw let me tell you, man. Well, one, I've done live stand up since this has been down once. Uh Nate Jackson's comedy club opened in, in July and they right. shut it down right after that weekend because uh stipulations came back in or restrictions, I should say. But um with Ida, with so many people that I've talked to. 2020 was shaping up to be the greatest year for entertainers of all time. I heard so many of my friends sold shows, booked shows, the stand-up specials, tours, and bam. It's like this is a movie within itself next year and the years to come. It's just like, you know what it reminds me of? It's the 2007 writer's strike. Yeah. That's what this is. Like everybody was about to get a TV show or do some movies, and everything got put on hold because now this is where the world is. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. It feels it feels uh, tough. Um, I want to uh, end because um, the hour is up, but I want to end with the last headline that I wanted to talk about with you guys because I think it's so funny. Um, the the do- the top doctors in Canada suggest that you should wear a mask while having sex. <laughs> I wish some of the women I, I had sex do. would have masks on. Go ahead. I've always <laughs> worn my Incredible Hulk mask when I have sex. That's just how I roll. 
And, uh, you know, I fear intimacy, so it's all cool. <laughs> <red color. laughs> I wear a mask of somebody she might actually want to be with. <laughs> ah! I put on my Ryan Gosling and get to work. <laughs> of somebody she might actually want to be with. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, bro, that mask, man. Let me tell you something. First of all, uh, that's not even when you're wearing a mask in general, you can barely breathe. So if you're wearing a mask in the house, do they realize that the mask doesn't cover your genitals? So it might just pop out. Corona. I don't want to get into it. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's too that's much to think right. About. I think there's a bit in there somewhere. That's why I, I just I laughed because. You know, the media always tries to make Canada seem dumb, you know, like <laughs> we do, especially American media. But I'm like, there's something to that. Um, and then the GOP senators asked the FDA to classify the abortion pill as dangerous, which I think is so funny because they also classify black men as dangerous. And so they fight for you to get here. And then when you get here, they do the same damn thing they did before you got here. So mm -hmm. it's, they, it's like, it's so funny to me where they're, they're talking about, uh, I'm writing a joke about this from my special and um, I said that white women have these abortions because they know their fathers and they're like, we're not making any more of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. I mean, when you make All the right. stuff, you know you're somewhere. That's um, a fact. That pill though. By the way, that pill is it, it lays bare the lie about abortion. It's not about abortion, it's about controlling women. Because mm -hmm. if they really if it was about abortion that and not controlling women, that pill would be next to the tic tacs when you're checking out. Everybody, hey, buy some abortion pill. That's the lie. And that lays that lie bare. The GOP, they just want to control women. They don't like that they have opinions and shit. Mm -mm. You know. Yeah, of course, because they're dumb. So if you listen, let these, <laughs> let these women open their mouths and just expose how Ted Cruz cooked bacon with a gun. We got nothing to talk about. Uh, what's the little uh, the little boy from the Herman Munster? What is, he looks like one. <laughs> Sit your ass down somewhere. We got nothing to talk about. Um, Eddie. Eddie Munster. Eddie Munster, yeah. So uh, I want to say thank you to both of you. Uh, for being here, I would love for you to come back because this hour went by like this, and that's what happens. When you're having fun, not gonna lie. Some of the shows you sit, I sit through, and uh, Irina can see me gazing into this, into the <laughs> watching to see the time. Like, time. I think comedians are my that's my village, right? So it's easier for me to have a conversation with people that are not gonna be like, wait a minute, Ida. <laughs> When I hear the word problematic, my my, I just start my jaws start getting tight because I'm like, oh, here we go, here we go. Um, tell people where they can find you um, or not, Mark, because you apparently are. are <laughs> <laughs> I'm online, but I'm I'm private, and I I have blocked more people on Twitter than follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked like nine thousand people. I have like two thousand followers because I don't have that blue check mark, and people probably think. That's not, that's not that guy, mm. you know, 
and I and and I think it got shadow banned because I say such rude shit. You know, I said like mm. Trump said, never. Oh, that's what like uh, Trump said. I never worked with that guy, even though he worked with the guy three years. And I I said, you know, when you can't remember people that you once worked with intimately, it's, it might be an early sign of dementia. Perhaps Exelon would be right for you. You know, <laughs> I try to be funny, but I also enjoy being rude. So yeah, I block a lot of people. Well, I want to, I, I just want to make sure that I point out here, I want to say thank you to you because you've always heard my voice and you invested in it when we did the, we shot uh, the No Fucks Given um, pilot that we did and with you and Felicia. And so you put your money where your mouth is. So I appreciate you for, you know, always believing in me and I'm ready to write the TV show with you. Clayton. Where can they find you as if they can't already? So many yeah. people, I know they're followers because they're using CT. Oh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I've never called you CT because I've all, you've always been Clayton to me and Jeff. We've been like your, your Hollywood parents. That's but, so funny. It's like when I remember uh, when people start going, when you started telling people, you're like, yo, it's Ida. I'm like, look. It's been a ten years. I can't. I can't switch, Ada. You definitely. So I give you. I give you the claim. But um, I at three o'clock today. I'm doing CT after dark. Um, that's gonna be on the Facebook page, the YouTube page, because my band will be over at two p.m. as far as posting. So I'll be back at at three p.m. today, and I will probably go to Twitch to play some video games because Mark just made me want to do it even more tonight. And yeah, if you're not following already, just check out. Just Google Clayton Thomas. You'll see everything that you need to see from me, and follow me and check me out. And uh, thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate that. This is very yeah. fun, and Mark is hilarious. Yeah, I gotta get Clayton. Um, you're hilarious. So I'm so happy to meet you. I just followed your Instagram. You made me laugh so much today, man. Oh. <laughs> I you do with me because I think that when I think about a writer's room being fun, I always think about the two of you, right? Um, oh. Mark is signing the checks because that's how white supremacy in Hollywood works. <laughs> <laughs> we get to work with our friends. <laughs> um, but you I get to pick. It's changing though. It's got to change. It is changing. Yes, it's got to. <laughs> you um, can you close the show out by addressing the crackers? Because I think it's just one of the best things on the planet. Yeah, I don't, you know, is there, they have flagged me and banned me for saying crackers. And so I had to get around it. And so what I do now is I just put up a picture of saltine. <laughs> and then I go, and underneath I go, you know. <laughs> you know. You know. You know. <laughs> and I'm not sorry. And I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is how fun it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear enough talking shit about each other, this is how fun it is. <laughs> a picture of saltines and a caption that says, you know. <laughs> you know. I never get flagged anymore, and I'm like, that's fine. I'll do whatever oh, I have funny. to. I'll get my point over. If I got to be diplomatic or smart, all right, I'll try. <laughs> you know. You know. <laughs> I love it. It makes me, it brings me so much joy. Um, so I want to say thank you to my audience who always shows up and they show up for me, not just weekly, but they show up for me on Instagram. 
Tell your friends about the show. Follow. Please support these amazing talents. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Truth Serum, um, where we give it to you straight with no chaser. Nice to meet you, Clay. Love you, Ada. <laughs>